Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellectianus. And this week we are talking about uh, something that we've threatened to talk about for a long time. Uh, we're talking about the viable system model, as, um, as, as described by Stafford Beer um, quite a while ago. But we're not, we're not reading Brain. We're not reading Brain the Firm. That is, that is fucking too much. I've, I've read it before. It's far too much to read for in two weeks for an episode. Um, so instead we're reading uh, two uh, resources... Um, we are reading uh, The VSM Guide by John Walker, which was last updated in 2018, and we are reading The Viable System Model as a Framework for Understanding Organizations by Raul Espeo and Antonia Gill. Um, that latter paper is real short and really easy to understand and is a brilliant introduction to the material. Um, so there'll be links to all that in the show notes. Highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, I, I would, I would definitely recommend, uh, checking out the Speo and Gill, uh, paper before reading the guide. Um, because that is a really nice synopsis, whereas the guide is, is really into the nitty gritty of using the VSM. Yeah, totally. Um, like, Espeo and Gill is the the paper I give to everyone who's curious. Um, that's, that's the introduction thing. Um, we'll be doing a bit of a, maybe a bit of an awkward thing. We'll be talking through the guide mostly, um, but referencing Espeo and Gill um, as it comes up, or in any place. Because it's, it's ultimately two resources that are about the same thing, so um, they resonate quite hard with each other um there's very very slight differences in sort of presentation and attitude i think um in the things that they emphasize uh, and the order that they, em- they emphasize things in but ultimately it's the same model yeah um so i mean kyle what was your what was your impression of I, I'm, I'm kind of aware that i, I think I, I read brain of the firm a while ago maybe last year sometime um and you've not read brain but um like, what was your impression of this material then? Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to come to because it was like having read Pickering and having read like Cybernetic Revolutionaries, you get that kind of like broad picture of what the VSM is, um, and you know you you sort of understand it as a whole, uh, as or as like a abstract whole, but. There are insights and there are realizations that I came to um, just by, like, reading the guide and going through, like, okay, how do you actually, like, workshop this, right? Like, how do you actually implement this? How do you reason about the VSM or reason with the VSM to understand organizations? Um what are the specific interrelationships of the different subsystems of the VSM, right? Like that sort of thing really comes out um, in these readings in a way that it doesn't in reading a more sort of general um, text, like the ones we've previously uh, covered. So yeah, so that was that was really interesting to to go through. Yeah, uh, definitely, and like um, I feel like even even for the amount of VSM stuff that I've read, like I feel like every every time I read a new thing about it, there's always some kind of little epiphany. <laughs> you know, there's there's always something new to be revealed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like with with the with the Pickering stuff or the or cybernetic revolutionaries, like it's it's very much like oh it's oh it's a system, right? Okay, well I mean like a car is a system, and like my fridge is a system. So like which which one of those is it like? And it's it's kind of it's it's very kind of. It's quite vague, but these uh, these paper, these materials we're reading here are very very easy to read and, and are a great description of the of the model. Well, I, I think that that you know Pickering gets at the broad strokes quite well, 
it's just, you know, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do with a general prosecution. <laughs> right? Especially with, with Pickering, right? Like in the, that, that, that Stafford Beer chapter is already pushing 90 pages in a... Yeah, it is. It's absolutely huge. I still, I still think that's the best, you know, introductory text to Beer out there. Um, it's just this is a very narrow part of his life and work. Um, important one, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, diving in with um, the, the introduction and preface to the VSM guide, um, Walker leads us off with like kind of a bit of context of why he was getting into this stuff, right? That like it was back in the 80s and he was working with co-ops in Britain, um, trying to kind of work out the problems of self-management. And in, in some cases, it was like stuff just wasn't really working. They were kind of using like a regime of like elected managers and stuff but then they found that they were basically just replicating the same old organizational structures they were all accustomed to but of course like these were co-ops so they were really really quite into like having a different kind of structure um so i mean he's he he then uh you know hears about and and writes to this guy stafford beer uh kind of asking these two questions like i mean is is this is this this viable system model would it be appropriate to apply to cooperatives and um and does the viable system model require the use of authority and obedience, right? But, like, uh, you know, a beer responds that yes to the first one and no to the second, right? That, like, the VSM definitely applies to co-ops and no, it doesn't require hierarchical management techniques um, of, the, of the kind that we all know and hate. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the reason that Walker would assume that maybe it's not applicable to co-ops is because it was originally developed by beer in doing consulting work for large corporations, right? Um, so if you just looked at the sorts of, uh, systems that Beer was analyzing in his consulting work, you might not assume that, oh, this, this carries over to a co-op, but in fact it does, it does quite well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, which, which Walker went on to discover. Um, I, I think I should probably interject here. I think I've met John Walker at the, at Metaforum, a real nice guy, um, it's, it's it's weird how small this this circle of, of people really is. <laughs> I also I also met Roel brief, briefly, a uh, real sweet guy as well. Um, I didn't realize who he was at the time. Uh, so Ra- Raul Espeo, the, the the author of the other the other paper here, was the like director of Cybersyn, or he was very very highly placed in the man- the operation of Cybersyn, the application of this model to to the Chilean economy in the seventies. Um, so yeah, like, like he's, he's writing from a place of authority on that, right? Like he, he's seen it in action. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt. Um, and you know, that, that paper was written, uh, as a brief, like not just for, you know, an academic audience, but like to be understandable to anyone with a professional interest. So yeah, it's, it's, it's informed by experience and it's, it's really well put together. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the closing remark of the preface then is that, like, I mean, the, the credibility for this model uh, came from, like, yeah, the, that they, they had they had done this in, in Chile, right? And, like, that mm-hmm. that Stafford Beer had this extensive experience with, um, with like, really hardcore management stuff in, in huge industry, uh, huge industry sort of um, applications. So, yeah, uh, moving on to section zero, which I, I, I love that they, they do zero indexing on this. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, proper, it's, uh, it's the properly cybernetic way to number things. Um, section zero, cybernetic eyes, right, where we get um, the fundamental ideas of the VSM and outline, right? Um, we, he sort of leads off with this, like, you know, the, the VSM is different, right? And it's because it's so different, it's actually quite easy to lose track of what's going on. Um, because the VSM is a whole systems theory, um, and I'm quoting here that 
Almost all other theories of organization think in a billiard ball model of A leads to B leads to C, and therefore miss the essence of what's really going on. They forget that A, B, and C are inextricably linked with a myriad of other factors, and that for any model to work, it must take all of this complexity into account. Right? So we're foregrounding complexity, we're foregrounding interactions, right? Like, and, and sort of messy reciprocal interactions. Uh, which he's right is is quite different from our usual way of thinking about organizations, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is not the the waterfall model of uh, of of work progress. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, I think uh, this is from Espeo and Gill. They go on to write. Um, the VSM is more in tune with other whole systems ideas like acupuncture, the Gaia hypothesis, most of modern physics, and many aspects of Eastern religions. The trouble is that most of us see the world in different terms, which have their perspectives set by the worldview of Newton and Descartes. Um, yeah, and, and it's, you know, that's something we definitely saw in Pickering, right? That, that you don't really get the VSM without beer going to India, right? Um, this is an important inspiration. Yeah, you, you need this sort of very different way of thinking in general, not just like a different way of thinking about organizations, but like in thinking about uh, human activity and human minds and, and brains and, 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 and so on, right? Because like what they're getting at there with like the Newton and Descartes and like, I mean, you could throw Plato in there with those guys, is that it's it's that i mean it's 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 a it's a model of thinking that we're all familiar with right of like um rulers overruled like head over body um mind over matter uh very very separate very stratified very dualistic right and um you know there there is an isomorphism between like the kind of cartesian model of mind and body as separate stratified things and the um the way that our society is organized, right? Like with uh, stratified, transcendent, like managerial layers that are, are, are in, that impose their will on on um, on the lower the lower sort of organs, right? Yeah, definitely. And you know, you could look at uh, the VSM and say, like, oh, this is sort of a classic case of uh, uh, cultural appropriation by some white guy going going to. Uh, Asia and taking some ideas and you know passing them off as his own and then and then you know getting famous for it uh, but I think you know what going back to what we saw in Pickering there is a certain way in which I think you can see um, that's maybe true of Beer's sort of early career as kind of the the button down uh, consultant uh, who really um, didn't speak about uh, those inspirations for his work um, and just kind of passed it off as like the, you know, the newest wave of operations research. Um, but I think that you kind of see in his later work, there is a certain way in which like he is kind of killing the colonist, uh, the, the, the colonizer in his mind, right? Like he is, he is really trying to um, overcome that uh, prejudice or that uh, colonialist mode of thinking that that says that, like, you know, even if you take inspiration from things you find out there outside of Europe, you have to pretend that that never happened. Right. Like that, that these these different modes of thinking that they're talking about that are not Newtonian or Cartesian um, 
like they're not actually valuable, right? Um, it's, it's like you have to express it in terms that are acceptable to that because, you know, the, the priority of the European Academy over all other forms of thinking. Um, but I, I think he, you know, he, he sort of progressively moved away from that. And uh, hopefully uh, that that means that, you know, the VSM is is not sort of like this inherently <laughs> colonialist text, right? No. Uh, yeah. I think you, yeah. can, you can also... Um... I mean, you, you can also get there by way of uh, Heraclitus and Deleuze and a bunch of other thinkers. I mean, it's it's definitely not a mainstream in 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 sort of contemporary thought, but there are there are threads that lead there um, through all kinds of different ways. But that's that's the bit that stands out because that's ex- that's what Stafford's past was that he he had spent he'd spent his time in India and it's where he picked up these ideas. Um, he he wasn't reading he wasn't reading Deleuze you know <laughs> definitely not it was it was his experience with with yoga and tantra and stuff like that that really got him there um, so yeah pretty interesting yeah there's another remark here uh, from Espeo and Gill that like I mean the, again this isn't particularly well known in contemporary management circles partially because the ideas are pretty tricky like this this takes a bit of chewing on to, to really get. Um, and yet that, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's counter to this, it, it, as we said, counter to this mainstream idea of like top-down hierarchical control. But they go on to say that like, I mean, contemporary technology offers the possibility of a flatter, more network-like organization, right? Where you could emphasize how the rhizome fits together and its operations and, and flows rather than emphasizing who reports to who. Because that's the thing with the, the hierarchical org chart way of thinking about organizations is that it doesn't actually describe their operations. It describes the kind of chain of blame, which isn't all that useful, actually, when you want to understand an organization, right? Like the fucking chain of who gets blamed by who is kind of a fucking sideshow, right? Like um, you really need to understand an organization in terms of what it actually does. And that's that's the thing that Stafford comes up with over and over again is that like the purpose of a system is what it does, right? Like the the formalism of who who reports to who is, is just a fantasy, like throw that aside. Um, it doesn't actually matter. Um, but uh, back to Espeo and Gill here, they're like also saying that like with those like flatter, more network-like organizations, you you also have this danger of losing cohesion in the network, right? Like the um, this is what we know of as the tyranny of structurelessness problem, where um, like organizations and, and people have like experimented with this. Oh, let, let's let's be you know radically flat as a as a structure or whatever, and then in the absence of like formal procedures and hierarchy, you just end up with informal hierarchy, which sucks real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what's being proposed here is um, an alternative that's like. It gives you the best. It's for the best of both worlds, really. Um, it gives you maximal autonomy and cohesion that holds holds the um, the whole thing together. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. It's not just this kind of purely negative rebellion against hierarchy. It is um, kind of a different understanding of organization than um, a strictly hierarchical one. And 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 different from the sort of kind of anarchic sort of like oh you know to hell with organization man kind of thing um of just like being free-floating fucking paradigms. well yeah i mean more in the sense that like that point of view i think still takes as its primary point of reference um the the problem of hierarchy right uh the uh yeah that's a whole sort of problematic 
Um, so yeah, this is this is kind of it's not that this doesn't imply some kind of hierarchy. It's just that that isn't really what's going on here. Like this, that's that's not what we're thinking about. Like we're thinking about, as you said, like what the organization does. It's a more functional understanding than it is this kind of hierarchical understanding. Yep, um, and. The, the 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 authors here also touch on uh, stuff that we've covered, I think, before. Uh, that is is a major uh, problem for for Stafford Beer, right? The problems of complexity, of um, variety, and of of engineering that variety to come to a dynamic balance with the world, right? And you know, we're, we, we've we've been posing a lot of problems there. So what's the answer? And the answer uh, for Stafford was to look to the human brain and the human body as a model of how a complex system organizes itself. Right, um, like a a sort of an an example of a you know a, a hyper complex system which we're all familiar with, which imminently self organizes. Like that's that's a really good organizational model, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and you know it's important to note that when we we look at that model, when we look at that that model of the body, we are not talking about um that sort of model that's focused on the brain motivating action in the rest of the body it's really not that understanding of the body it's a different understanding of the body that is is more holistic more interactive more systems thinking um and 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 less about like oh we have thoughts and then that motivates our actions um it's it's you know which is more in accordance with like actual physiology and, and neuro neuroscience that is being done. It's just that, you know, it's not the, the sort of common inherited model of the body that we usually think about uh, in terms of like Western society. Right. Yep. Totally. Um, so beer breaks down the, the body into five systems approximately, right? Um, system one is all the muscles and organs, um, the parts that actually do something. And this is, this is your, the basic activities of the system, um, which we'll refer to as the operation or, or system one and operation are kind of interchangeable in this model. Um, system two is the sympathetic nervous system, which monitors the muscles and the organs and keeps their interaction stable. The kind of immediate stabilization between between sort of immediate muscle groups and between between organs. Um, system three is the base brain, right? The kind of the upper spinal column and base brain, which oversees oversees all of the sort of internal state and the the entire complex of muscles and organs, and kind of optimizes their internal environment, right? Like that's the the part that's responsible for keeping the keeping the house in order, right? Internally, that's your your sort of first level of homeostasis there, right, where the the internal environment of the organism comes to a sort of approximate dynamic balance, um, a, a level of homeostasis. Um, system four then is the midbrain, so this is the little bit higher up, and it's connected to the outside world, right, through the through the eyes and the senses, and this is future planning, projections, forecasting, kind of like prediction, and you know, crucially sort of like folding, folding the outside state into the inside state, um, as a kind of planning engine. Um, and then system, system five is your higher brain functions, right? Like your policy, right? An identity, um, 
think of it as kind of kind of like the conscious mind, like the very the very top level, the uh, the cortex. And we've got a we've got a funky little diagram as well too to go with it. Um, we're we're aware that like there probably isn't much point. Like the, the diagram here is basically a sort of abstract diagram of a couple of organs plus a spinal column plus like the three layers of the brain. And then on the left, there's this like ellipse that kind of is supposed to be the environment, right? It's all the other stuff. Um, yeah, it's this kind of a meboid shape. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's very hard to describe, and it's not particularly good radio to try and describe this either. So, um, plus also, like, I mean, we could describe the objects in the diagram, but, like, it's covered in arrows and, like, flows and mutual interactions, and that's the important stuff. So, um we'll 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 have links in the show notes we'll the 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 episode art for this episode will probably be one of these pictures please do look it up um maybe even pause the episode for the moment and have a quick look just to kind of get get to where we are um yeah because you know um diagramming is a really important part of doing vsm work um like it, it 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 is not simply a uh a verbal um practice it is is also definitely a visual practice um so it is important to have um those those images to be able to look at yeah um and then like so we've got our five systems but then sort of if you squint a little bit you get kind of three big groups right like you have operation which is your muscles and organs right system one then you have a a meta system which is the the whole nervous system and brain right that's your systems two through five and then you have the environment, which is everything else in the world. So the, the operation and metasystem together are the system, right? The system that we're studying, whichever, whichever organization or company or whatever this happens to be, or organism, right? Because like, uh, it's a model that applies to all sorts of different things. Those two together are that. And then the, the environment is everything else that it could possibly interact with, um, that it could. And this is... This is um, this terminology is very sort of core to cybernetics, right? Like kind of considering a, a system and its environment and what kind of signals and impulses can arrive from the environment and what kind of responses are available. Um, we're not going to go into a huge amount of that, but like we've, we have previous episodes on the cybernetic brain and designing freedom, which are like highly recommended as follow-on episodes from this one. Yeah, and I think that the important thing to note there is like the terminology, right? The operation and the meta system are what form uh, the system in question, and it's not the um, you know uh, the processor and the implementation or whatever. Uh, it's not like a peripheral. The operation is really where most of the action is happening. And the meta system is exactly as it says. It's it's meta, right? It's 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 not the core, right? The and the operation is not purely enacting a thing. It has its own kind of of cognition involved in it. Um, so that's that's really important to understand how this um, conception of organizations actually works. It isn't about a directorship and, you know, the implementation of the direction. Mm -hmm. It's about, yeah, the, the operation, the actual activity comes first and the, the management is in service of that because like um, the, the challenge as always with, with a cybernetic um, the analysis is that the challenge is for the, the system to come to a dynamic balance with its environment, right? To, to survive and to, to thrive, right? Like that's, that's the viable, right? In the, in the thing, because like um, 
a system that's not viable just gets swept away. It, it dissolves in the environment. Um, gets torn to shreds and falls apart, right? So the, 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 the operation has to come to balance with that thing, and the, the meta system, the management, is there to assist in doing that. It's, it, it's not, it doesn't take precedence of its own. But the, one of the sort of important things to emphasize here as well, that we're, we're, we're talking about this like ecology of organization in, inside the system, right? Like it's, it's not, we're, we're, we're emphasizing relations and communications among mutually involved systems, or subsystems, right? We're kind of, and we're, we're defocusing things like singular objects or singular kind of, um, kind of systems. And yeah, so like, and like the way, the way uh, Walker puts it here is that, uh, I'm quoting, this balanced whole system approach solves many of the dilemmas with which traditional models struggle. Should we centralize or decentralize? Should we devolve power or appoint authoritarian managers? So, like linking back to his kind of original kind of problem statement, like this, he, he found this stuff to be a to be an answer to those problems. Um, should we decentralize or centralize uh, both slash neither? Um, should we devolve yeah. <laughs> power? Or, should we devolve power? Yes. <laughs> should we appoint authoritarian managers? No. Like the model, the model informs this, right? Um, yeah. The um, the model kind of argues that a lot of our traditional sort of thinking about these problems are, are is really like thinking about pseudo problems, right? Like we haven't per correctly identified what the real problem is. Um, and this is providing both a different problematic and a solution for dealing with that problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I mean, so like for but the, the the stuff that we're accustomed to, right, is um, oh, the you know authoritarian management uh, as a, as a solution. What, what's it a solution to? Oh, it's the solution to the problem of class reproduction. <laughs> you know, it's like the the, <laughs> yeah. the thing that it does solve is a thing we don't want at all, right? So um, and this kind of loops in with well, like why why are we why are we covering this, right? Like, I mean, I mean, it's our belief that this socialists and communists need to organize a mass movement uh, of, of people and in, in, the, in the workforce and all this sort of stuff, right? And, like, in order to do that, you need organization, right? But, like, we're often pretty shit at that. Um, and we sort of, when questioned with, like, okay, but what does this new world look like? We just sort of stand there and go, um, don't know, haven't thought about that, um, <laughs> which is bullshit, right? Yeah. So, you know, if yeah. you, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode, but if you have pretensions to like taking over the state, like you have to care about organization and and what organizational systems are, or if you if you pretend to replace the state with whatever you you know all the caveats in the world, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think when you take this to its logical conclusion, similar to where you get with Marxism, uh, it, it's not really compatible with a state it's not really compatible with a class society. Of course, you can create viable systems within the context of a class society or within the context of a state, but when you really generalize it, um, I think it, it, does imply, uh, it does imply communism. Yeah. Um, so it, it's an answer to that sort of big question then of like, um, I mean, it's, it's one where we're sort of posed pretty regularly of like, okay, if, you're, if your plan is to dissolve the state and to move to something beyond it, well, what, what is that thing beyond it? And this is, you know, an indication of what kind of um, large-scale coordination systems you could possibly have that would not be 
a state in the sort of way we know, like the platonic Cartesian model of, of state thought. This is very different, but it is also not like Kaczynski-style primitivism, <laughs> you know? It's an answer to that question, right? Like, what, what, what comes next? What kind of social, economic, organizational structures are you proposing? We're proposing to do what they did in, on, in, in Chile on a gigantic scale. <laughs> that's, that's the concrete proposition. Um, yeah. Moving on a tiny bit then, um, kind of abstracting those five systems away from the body concretely, you get um, system one as primary activities or value production, system two as conflict re resolution and stabilization uh, amongst the system ones or systems one. Which way are you supposed to pronounce? Like, is it system ones or systems one? I can never figure it out. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've never run into that problem before mm -hmm. in English. They're, they're, they're plural, <laughs> right? This, the, the system one is plural. Yeah, right. System two, two, three, four, and five are singular. So yeah, like two is your conflict resolution and st stabilization. System three is internal regulation and sort of synergy, optimization, right? Like kind of taking the whole picture into account and saying, okay, if we increase blood flow here and we get more oxygen to this, then we can turn down that. And like, it's, it's the kind of a little bit higher and it's, it's turning more not more dials, right? Than, than system two is. Yeah. It, it takes a whole view of uh, the internal uh, part of the, of this whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, system four is our adaptation and forward planning and kind of like monitoring of the external environment. And then system five is your, your policy and identity and sort of ultimate authority at the top. Um, yeah, uh, for Espeo and Gill, uh, they use, um, they actually don't use the terminology systems one through five at all. Um, they call it imp implementation, coordination, control, intelligence, and policy. Which I think is a gigantic leap forward as well, because um, systems one through five sounds just so so dorky. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've stuck to the VSM guide terminology just for the sake of consistency, but I do prefer Espeo and Gill on that one. Yeah, I, I think my maybe my only qualm with that reformulation is is this uh, idea of implementation mm, uh, ooh, in okay, system yeah. one because yeah. it's because yes, it it does have to perform according to a um, agreed upon role, but it does have a kind of more active uh, creative dimension to it um, than, than just implementation. Um, yeah, implementation as a subordinate kind of hand-me-down-some-instructions kind of vibe to it. Yeah, um, and I, I think one thing that's really interesting to note is that um, the description of system one, uh, it says, you know, primary activities, right? Like it's, it's like this, this is primary. And then to add emphasis, it says value production, right? So like this is some real like labor theory of value here, right? Like you know, like the 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 value of the system is produced in system one. Like it is it is it is the primary locus of valuation. So that that is that is quite interesting to me as as a as a Marxist at least. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think I think that, that that's very interesting, and it actually sort of um, I mean it's not that the, the problem is posed here specifically, but it's a, it's a problem in in political economy anyway, right? Like that, how do you you know it's sort of um, how do you account for things that are sort of not exactly direct commodity value production, but aren't 
really support functions either. So that 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 sort of ambiguity is here too. But I mean, uh, it is. Yeah, it, it, they kind of get into that problem a bit. And like, actually, uh, that problematic is is inherent to defining system one um, because you have to define the contours of system one and one of the criteria or one of the criteria you can use to to delineate what is system one is uh what parts of your organization are producing value right and then so it really does get to that productive unproductive labor uh problematic that you get in classical political economy uh where you have people who are like making the things that actually are realized for value and then make then the people who are doing the things that are um facilitating value production uh and it actually like so when you when you look at that in classical political economy it tends to be like a really kind of um strict division but when you look at the way the vsm actually works there's often going to be the same people working in system one as in all the other systems Right. Like there there is a certain fluidity and a certain level of like functionality to this analysis that doesn't like essentialize these are the value producers and these are like the non-value producers. Yeah. That's that's something that's worth kind of pointing out here uh, or elaborating on is that um when when you see the diagram of this thing and you see these little boxes, it's it, it's very easy to jump to the conclusion that those are like roles or job descriptions. That like you, you put a person inside each box and that's that's the their their sort of job. That's not the case. What we what I like about the VSM is that it sort of describe it sort of depersonalizes management as and it turns it it turns it from being a a sort of facialized role that some people with some privilege have. It it get it sort of gets away from that and makes it more like a machine function. That the, these are meant to be kind of automated processes in which. The members of the organization kind of nomadically migrate through these these sorts of systems. I mean, for for one thing, like um, if you're if you're in the shower in the morning and you're wondering about how your company will adapt to a certain upcoming challenge, you're sort of inhabiting System Four at that moment. While when you get when you get in the car and you drive to work and you you get in and you start banging a wrench against something or whatever, that's that you're operating in System One. If you then go and like have to have a meeting with somebody from a different department to sort out, I don't know, where where a box of stuff went missing or whatever. You're, both of you are operating in system two for the moment. And then when you have your weekly or bi-weekly kind of um, retrospective meeting, like the all hands meeting, you're all, you're all up in the kind of system four, system five layer. So it's, it's, we're really getting away from personalization of management here into this kind of, kind of abstract automation flows that are, that end up kind of, you know, managing. Everyone ends up managing in a sort of way. It's kind of it's kind of strange and kind of hard to adapt to initially, because you you stick to that notion of like no, a manager is a person who who sit who sits in a chair like a specific chair. You know, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it's it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, it is possible that an organization could uh, formalize these all out into separate roles. But it it kind of goes against the grain of the VSM to some degree. There, there, there's more of a desire and a tendency 
to try to avoid that kind of um, isolation of uh, of of roles um, in in the system. Yeah, which is great, and that that serves us um, us perfectly <laughs> as uh, as communists, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so yeah, moving on a little bit more, uh, Walker goes through some of the meta system in more detail, right? Like, um, and he uses this sort of uh, metaphor of eyes, right? That like you have this internal eye that's like system two, three, that's like facing inside into the system. Um, and is, uh, is it, it, it is creepily rendered in like probably a, ho- a whole 40 pixels worth of, of fucking JPEG on the, on the page. It is, it is. Gr- yeah. There's like a, there's a diamond with eyes growing out of it. Yeah. It's pretty wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the quality art here, the art here is fucking terrible, it's, but it's, it's charming. It's charmingly bad. Right. Um, but and then you have the external eye at the sort of level of system four that's facing the world, right? And that's that's again what we were on about with like keeping internal balance, and then once once you've got your house in order, keeping external balance. Um, yeah, but you know this, it's worth noting here that like you know internal eye, external eye, like this is stuff that comes like straight out of like tantra or meditation or you know what whatever, right? Like it, it, all all of these kinds of internal practices. Um, uh, you, you could point to examples uh, for yeah. that, yeah. And uh, the general sort of structure of all of this is that the the operational units, the the sort of things that make up System One, are allowed as much autonomy as possible. But they're sort of reporting upwards, right? Like sort of um, this this is this is to do with this variety engineering thing that like ultimately in a in a highly various scenario or with a highly various problem, the only people or systems that are capable of dealing with the problem are the people kind of closest to the cold face. So like the, the thing that here is to devolve power and decision-making as low as possible to let, let as much autonomy go to the lower levels. Um, with the only exception to that being the kinds of, the kinds of restraints on autonomy that are required for maintaining overall, overall cohesion. And that would mean like the, the, the set of systems one get on with whatever they're doing and just report, periodically upwards uh, or send alert signals when things go wrong and that goes up the spinal column to the midbrain basically um to the internal eye right which is and if the if the if the if system three the midbrain is it spots a sort of opportunity for synergy or for like op- internal optimization it'll kind of issue instructions downwards or pl- plans or whatever you want to call them right it's like oh hold on if you go over there then we can do this or if if this project is now delayed by two months. That means we can re- reallocate this resource to this other project. So it's kind of, it's this reciprocal feedback loop of like information goes up and down um, as it does in the body, right? Um, and then at the sort of level of system four, all that information from three, like the, the, way, the way it's rendered in the diagram is that there's a kind of a circular feedback loop between systems three and four. Uh, like they're, they're deeply involved in each other because they're constantly exchanging information and kind of, folding the internal state into the external state and producing this like continuous adaptive planning which is uh, which is like we were talking before about like planned economies and so on and like using economic planning that's kind of where that would sit right in this kind of four three loop um of like yeah the the cockshot stuff would be there basically at at, at level the, the 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 three four sort of divide um or the 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 three four engine or motor that i like to think of it as like a motor of planning or a motor of adaptation yeah and i mean you know what we've talked about in 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 people's republic of walmart was sort of like the way in which um 
there is cybernetic feedback between multiple multiple levels of like the Walmart planning system. Um, that's very much in accordance with what uh, the VSM would prescribe. Mm-hmm. And listeners might be sort of thinking, well, hold on, if this, if, this, if this stuff is so wonderful, why don't people do it? Um, Beer's answer to that is that actually they do. <laughs> like, the, the, the kind of, the theory here is that all, all actually viable systems kind of match this pattern if you squint at them. That, like, the, the viable system model is kind of firstly intended as a diagnostic framework that you 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 sort of hold up the the, gra- the diagram and you look at your organization through the lens of the diagram and you see oh those are the those are the value production centers this oh that 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 thing is kind of equivalent to a spinal column oh like i can see where the planning and stuff happens and then you might spot that like oh there isn't really a system 3 in my organization it's kind of like you know, brain dead at that kind of level, or there might not be a policy level. There might just be sort of an, a kind of chaotic swirl of of of, of stuff, right? Um, so you're you're meant to be able to look at it and say, you know, to 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 um, to, to look at a a real system and and see it through this sort of lens. So the answer to that is that like unconsciously, Walmart probably do this without even realizing it, right? Because if they didn't, they wouldn't have survived right that's the kind of theory here is that that systems that systems that do survive and do adapt to their environment can be analyzed in this way and will almost entirely match the the thing sometimes you'll find a vestigial tail or a a gap right like a like a, a classic one is like founder syndrome for like startups where you know the the founder is involved in just fucking everything right like development support uh you know issuing credit card refunds all that sort of stuff and you would diagnose that as being like you have a system five and systems one but two three and four are just missing lobotomized right like um so yeah that's uh i feel like that's 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 an important one that like this it's not so much a proscriptive model well it kind of is in some ways but it is definitely a, a, a descriptive or diagnostic model um well and i think what you can point to with an example like Walmart. It's like, yes, they, they definitely are a viable system. They do um, conform to this, this layout uh, in some ways. Uh, but we also have to take into account the fact that, um, you know, capitalism kind of pushes against the tendency towards devolution of power and responsibility um, uh, that the VSM prescribes. And so it may be possible for an organization to be viable within capitalism while still like blatantly uh, ignoring, you know, one of the most important dictates of the VSM because the con- competition is also following that, and uh, you know the state of uh, of class struggle uh, sort of enforces a dysfunctional um, perpetuation of the system, mm-hmm. which would um, which would trap them in a kind of local op- uh, a local optimum, right? Like. Um they, they could be they could be a lot more effective by by like again this variety variety engineering sort of like Ashby's law of requisite variety right that you'll have systems that are 
viable in their current configuration, but could be a, could be a lot more viable in a, in a better configuration. But anyway, Walker then moves on to a bit more of a description of System 1, and the kind of main point here is that this, the, the model is recursive, that each of the System 1 subunits is itself an entire copy of this diagram, and is, is itself viable, and so on and so forth until you get, you get way down, right? And that the, these, these subunits should be left to be largely autonomous, but then held together by the, the metasystem in, in ways, in, in whatever way they need to, right? Like to, to just maintain overall, overall stability. And it, it's also important that each, each of these sorts of, uh, we, we talked about how the, the high-level organization deals with its environment, but each, each of the subunits deals with a subsection of the environment, right? So um, uh, like a classic one would be like for, for a company, the environment is all all the stuff like distributor like distributors um fucking vendors customers uh, you name it right like um everyone's in there but the subunits might be you know shipping or like order taking or like some sort of production thing like a factory thing or whatever um or you know like a material production stuff or like customer support as well could be another one and each of those is sort of mostly dealing with a subsection of that environment um, so they're, 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 but, and they're also dealing with each other. Um, something that's kind of not rendered very well in these diagrams, but is rendered better on Beer's own models is that the system one subunits are deeply entangled with each other. Like there's a, there's a mesh of like immediate nervous system activity between say, you know, sales and support and development or whatever, and, and shipping, you know, as, as the, the sort of the things, right. And that a lot of the sort of direct interactions won't ever rise to the level of even System 2 becoming aware of them. They're just sort of immediate direct interactions. System 2 and upwards only step in when there's a problem, like when, there's a, when, when those interactions go bad and there's oscillation. Like um, one of the examples that's, that's used uh, somewhere a bit later in this, um, this guide is where... Um, you have two floors of a factory, right? And there's a shipping, like a freight elevator going up and down, or there's a set of freight elevators. But then sometimes a, pal a palace goes in the freight elevator and it kind of gets stuck because nobody nobody takes it out at the top or whatever. And so there's a kind of a contention for a resource. And that's the part where a, a sort of system two would get involved, right? Because if, if things run smoothly, you don't need to do anything. It's only when things go wrong that you need to, you need to do any kind of management. Yeah, the, the example was that you get a pallet going up the elevator that neither floor considers to be its its domain of responsibility, so they just send it back and forth infinitely. Um, and the system two is what resolves that kind of uh, you know uh, loop of behavior, right? It's it's kind of exception handling, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know it re it resolves instabilities, but the thing is that if there's no instability in the first place, well. Lucky you. You don't. You don't need a. You don't need that system. You don't need to do anything today in that system. Yeah, that's that's the really important thing here is that like there is a certain sense in which um, the VSM really goes against the grain of like maybe not the necessary practice of sort of like the connected world, the big data world. Um, the idea that you need to have a sensor for everything in every place, um, it, it goes against it by saying what you want to do is limit the information that is going upward in the system 
um, to the stuff that really matters. Like, don't just, don't just, like, you know, bulk collect every kind of data under the sun. And, like, Beer was very explicit about this in the Designing uh, Freedom uh, uh, lectures, right? Like, he's like, yeah, like, you don't want to have just this flood of information coming up to the top and being processed to no end whatsoever. You really want to restrict the information to the important stuff uh, what he calls like algodonics, right? The, this this kind of like, if there's a problem, then somebody needs to be informed of it. But if there's no problem, then we don't want any data at all, right? Like we don't we, we don't want any notification at all, I guess is what you should say. Um, beer would be very against uh, uh, push notification proliferation, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, because it, it should be exceptional, right? Like, algodonics is about, like, pleasure pain signals in biological systems. Um, so the, 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 the kind of general rule here is only only send a signal when there's a problem. And otherwise, just, just provide your sort of general weekly reports or whatever to, to be fed into the statistical machine. But yeah, otherwise you don't need you don't need management involved if they're not needed, you know, if it's or if it's not needed. Yeah. So um, one thing that's maybe interesting is that uh, Espeo and Gill emphasize they they sort of present their thing a little bit differently, where they emphasize the recursion upfront, um, and they sort of fill out the details later. But uh, I think it's just an interesting sort of thing that like you can view this same object from a couple of different angles and emphasize the bit that you like. Um, yeah, so um, a later section brings us on to some case studies, which are pretty interesting, right? Like, we get um, examples from, like, a small Whole Foods cooperative. And then we get an example from a kind of larger larger Whole Foods cooperative again, but, like, one that's got, I think, multiple sites. And I think I think they, they get into the tens of employees rather than the sort of single digits. And then the bigger example is, is Mondragon, um, the Federation of Cooperatives. These are well worth reading in detail. We're going to kind of just pick on some of the more interesting kind of um, standout bits here. Um, what stood out for me was that, like, the differences in scale here really change, like, um, how how you need to deal with things. Because, like, for the small shop with, like, five, uh, five workers, like, um, in the cooperative... Um, their sort of imminent activity of just doing the job forms this kind of natural system two, three, four, five kind of thing, um, where I think the, the way he puts it is that like the, the system three is the kind of like model of the internal state, and it just sort of emerges naturally from the interactions of the people. Um, so they don't they don't they end up kind of naturally inhabiting all these different roles throughout the day uh, without the formalism. But the downside of that is that. Um, when, you know, because there's, it's kind of really tied to these particular people, um, and it can degenerate into a non-viable form when, say, somebody is, is, is ill, right, or absent, or somebody has to do delivery across the country or whatever, um, you can end up operating with a sort of semi-lobotomized kind of midline yes. <laughs> at, that, at that time. <laughs> um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, some of the, the recommendations there were for, um, to kind of keep more explicit data around, like um, uh, he, he talks about like performance indicators and stuff to have them measured properly and displayed, um, but also just like take really taking the time to plan and optimize, like because with a small shop it's easy to just get completely buried in just the the activity of doing the job at all, but they they needed to really take the time out to 
say to themselves, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to do system three now. We're going to do our internal optimization. And then tomorrow evening, we're going to sit down and do our, our, our sort of quarterly planning, our, our system four operation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they had sort of technologies that they could use to help with this too, right? Like they had like post poster boards and, and that kind of stuff to, to just help, help keep, um, uh, system two operative, um, yeah, yeah. That's that's a big sort of theme throughout all of this is that system two ideally should be taken up with just kind of I guess sort of like data practices or like IT infrastructure stuff, like um like high bandwidth communication channels that can be used to like just uh, either resolve conflicts when they come up or simply prevent conflicts from happening. Like um I think I've seen pretty regularly with um say software development teams where that where you have a team that's working on multiple projects and you would think of the separate projects as system ones or systems one um one of the ways of avoiding conflicts is to, to use a version control system and a decent workflow for like uh you know bug tickets so system two in that case doesn't end up being a singular system it just ends up being a set of policies and procedures that are sensibly worked out to just avoid avoid collisions in the first place it's like the way the way you the way you avoid problems with driving right is like you don't by and large you don't you don't try to resolve collisions between cars you try to stop the collision from happening in the first place um and that's that 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 sort of patina of procedures and sort of internalized rules is your system too yeah like in the examples given in this in this text uh, I think they're they often refer to like the cooperative ethos as their system too. Um, just the sort of the 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 mores and values of working in a cooperative and having a common interest um, operate as a system too. Uh, because you know, yeah, they have a common interest, so people are going to work to um, about like basically like load balance efficiently uh, because they're they're they have the common good in mind as opposed to being a you know like in in the People's Republic of Walmart episode we saw the the different units that are all in each other's throats yeah <laughs> the Sears example yeah totally yeah exactly <laughs> or to or to riff on our sort of earlier example of the uh, the freight elevator um, maybe maybe system two is implemented as like a procedure where like firstly you stick a note on the pallet as, as to what floor it's intended for and they take it out there or if the if the note is missing and the thing is just like noticed to be off you hit a little uh, alert button that flashes a light on each floor and then the elevator goes to the bottom floor and it gets unloaded there until somebody can come pick it up and that's that's just the procedure and it's it's not like it's not going to solve why who put the fucking pallet there or whatever that's not what's going to be solved it's the oscillation and the sort of bullshit that's what'll be solved um by that procedure um, and that's 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 the the immediate concern, and that's that's analogous to like when you're lifting something with your with your body, right? Like you're picking up something, your muscle groups are working together and kind of reciprocally kind of vetoing each other through, like I mean, one muscle wants to pull really hard, and the the one on the opposite side of the arm wants to go the other way, and it's just sort of it balances out, and like the um, or the the balance of like um, oxygen in your bloodstream is balanced out this kind of way, where it's like you're running to catch a bus, right? And it's like one, one system is saying, give me as much oxygen as possible. And there's another system saying, whoa, 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 hold on. Can't, like, oxygen's poisonous in huge doses. Don't do that, you know. And the, um, 
it's an automatic system that kind of finds the uh, finds the, the balance in there. Yeah, it's like if in that example of like when you're lifting something heavy, it's your muscles working together in a way that you're not really even consciously aware of. Um, it, it, it like it's 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 prior to there being a pain signal of oops, uh, this is too heavy. Um, uh, that would be more at the level of like you know the system three and four kind of deal, right? Um, sure. Moving on a bit, yeah, the, the example of the sort of medium-sized business was uh, this place, Triangle Whole Foods. Um, about 35 workers, and, like, one of the problems they, they'd found was that um, early on they were fine with just having kind of this big, one big meeting each week uh, to, like, 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 the, like the first example, right, to, to just figure stuff out. Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually appropriate for that size of a cooperative. But at 35 or 40, it becomes really unwieldy, and so the... What's interesting here is that there's explosive growth in the operations level, like the in the system one, but the the brain doesn't grow big enough to catch up with it. You know, the um, you have this massive operational complexity and not enough meta system to catch up with it. So um, it sort of just dissolves and breaks down. The sort of big recommendation here was to do cell division into departments, right? To um, to kind of introduce a layer of recursion so that you would have um, you go from, you go from being one recursion to being t- to to two. Um, so you have the overall company is made of a couple of system ones and then they themselves are made up of, of system ones. Um, and that meant that the, the planning, like each, each subunit could do its planning in parallel on its own schedule and with less people involved. So that, that kind of like shrunk the problem. So this thing, right, to meet, to, to meet Ashby's law, you can either grow the size of the solution or shrink the problem. And both of those are valid, right? But like, you know, it's 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 often easier to shrink the problem than it is to grow the grow the the solution bigger, because then if you grow if you grow the solution, that becomes a problem in itself, right? Because you just end up with more complexity. Right. It, it's almost exactly the example that Beer gives in his talk about the department store, right? Um, you know, break, breaking that uh, problem of people wanting different things down into departments. Yeah, and um, the example from Mondragon is really interesting. Like this, this big federation of cooperatives in Spain, I believe. Uh, yes, it's it's in uh, northern Spain. Yeah, um, but um, the author here was kind of amazed that like he was like, "Are you are you sure you didn't? You guys have never heard of this beer guy?" Like it was, it it sort of naturally evolved into a. Um, I mean, painfully naturally evolved because like I mean, it scaled up pretty huge, right? But like um, they had found the same principles basically right that it ended up being re- kind of recursively subdivided with like pretty clear distinctions of like what kind of um what kind of responsibilities are occurring at each level um you had like workers participation in the sort of like workers councils and management layers and this sort of stuff and it was like he was like yeah like it, he was, are you certain you haven't heard of this viable system stuff because it's really eerily familiar yeah yeah i think um uh, the important thing to note here about the Mondragon example is this was this was uh, an observation that uh, he made on a visit to Mondragon, I think in '91, and so this is uh, prior to uh, Spain being incorporated into the the European Common Market, um, and so. I think a lot of the uh, really serious criticisms people have of Mondragon uh, come about after this period uh, when, um, you know, uh, basically the free market 
uh, in Europe imposes a capitalist logic on the organization um, and starts to to degenerate um, what it, its principles and, and, and uh, standards of operation are. Um, so uh, you know, this is this is maybe a little bit of Mondragon at its best, um, uh, as opposed to to what what it, it's often criticized for now. Mm, yeah, which is a, a damn shame. Um, yeah, but um, interesting though that like I mean, Beer's thesis was was born out right that like a a sort of really viable organization, like when when it was put to this like lens to view it through, it was like holy shit that that lines up perfectly, right? Like, um, really really interesting validation of the theory there. So section three pl- preliminary diagnosis um, is kind of stepping through. This is where the the guide kind of I mean it takes on its kind of character as a guide, right? Like it's. Is getting a little bit away from the sort of just description of the model and into like um, a bit of a how-to guide of like how to do each of these things in um, piece by piece. Um, the general gist here is to to map the or identify the organization you're interested in and map it onto the diagram and kind of fill in the boxes and think about think about what practices you do currently map onto the components of the system. So like. What is it that you do right now that corresponds to um, stabilization and conflict resolution? What is it that you do right now that corresponds to forward-thinking planning? How is policy decided? This sort of stuff, right? And it's it's important it's important to note that uh, you may not actually find a corresponding um, system. Uh, in your organization for each of the five levels. And that is like just something you would note down because what that suggests is that you do not have that system and you probably should... It's either um, something that is done kind of implicitly uh, as in the first exam, the first case study we looked at, right? Like system, there was no like real system five, so to speak. Well, I think the way it would be put there is that there is a system five. It's just, it, it, it's implicit, but it, it's a... Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. It's not formalized, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not formalized. Um, and that may not be a problem, but it may also be a problem. And in which case you would want to implement uh, some kind of formalized system five, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and our other example being the, because it's an egregious example, uh, the founder syndrome, right? Where it's like systems one and five are present, but everything else is missing. Or, you know, I mean, we've we've all probably worked at places that had absolutely no forward planning whatsoever. It was all just pure reaction. Um, so that system four was completely absent or ones that had maybe really great forward vision, but um, they're in, in, internally their house is a mess. Um or, or any of those, any, or or say you know an example where system two is, would be missing would be that there's uh, like Sears right like with the the cutthroat sort of um, antagonism between departments that should have been working together um, that would have been the absence of a kind of stabilizing nervous system and an and an absence of system three and four and five because like that fucking guy <laughs> well it, it, it's. In that sense, like the the organizational form that they they set up in Sears, there is kind of like an anti viable system. <laughs> so the the dark right, like it, system, it, yeah. it is a, it it is a system that isn't actually committed to viability, right? Like 
uh, that it's not a that's not a founding assumption of how it's organized. <laughs> so, and so it fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's that, that that that's an interesting point as well because um, I mean we should also probably clarify that not all not all systems in the world or not all sort of social assemblages will be viable systems. Um, like I mean, g- going back to designing freedom with um, the example of the waves on the ocean, right? Like. They they are like imminently non viable. Like their their whole nature is to not continue. They 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 do their thing and then they crash on the beach and that's it. Um, so like the the queue at Starbucks is a social assemblage, but it's not a viable system. It doesn't have a self continuous identity that is that it it itself tries to maintain. It doesn't have planning. It doesn't have internal stabilization. Um, so I mean, yeah. It, this this we are talking specifically about a particular subset, a particular subset of all social machines, where the social machine is set up and intentionally trying to survive and to continue. Yeah. So like uh, as I said, like define define what's in focus, right? Like um, draw like get get out the pen and paper and draw up some stuff, right? And start filling in the boxes. Yeah. The the imp- the important thing uh, here is to to understand what the purpose of the system is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like at the yeah. system one level, like what what does this thing actually do, and which parts of the environment does it interact with while doing? So I mean, the in the diagram they have here. The, the, the author goes through like a fill, filling out a diagram uh, piece by piece with with JPEGs, um, and the, the system the system one the operational units that, that he identifies are uh, warehouse and order pickers, uh, transport, cash and carry, manufacturing and order takers, and each of those has a, a mapping to a part of the environment. Right. So this is your yeah. I mean, what what are you doing, and what how does what you're doing interact with the outside world? Yeah, and I, I think the point of the, the writing the purpose of the system, you're really trying to come up with a kind of like uh, meta statement of what those things amount to, right? So like, you know, uh, the example is given there of, uh, you know, beer talking about like, what is it, the British Railway and... Like the the purpose of the system is to convince him not to travel by rail. Uh, <laughs> this is before it was privatized. Oh, um, yeah. So so that was a that was a point that I, I I really wanted to like read a little bit more about. Like, how do you actually define the purpose of the system? Because it is defined by. Like, you know, to some extent by what it actually does, right? Like there, there was another example uh, that I think Walker gave where it was like, oh, you know, you might think that the purpose of your like, I think it was supposed to be like, you know, some kind of like Trotskyist sect or something like the purpose of our organization is to is to overthrow capitalism, right? But when you actually examine the operation of the system, you find that the, the purpose of the organization is to sit around and drink coffee. So, <laughs> so I'm really interested in like what are like what's the exact like procedure you would go through in doing this VSM work in like figuring out like what is the real purpose of this organization? And then like also the question of like reconciling sort of the ideal purpose of the organization and the the actual purpose of the organization because you know th- that is that is a point that that beer brings up in the designing freedom lecture right where he's talking about like um systems that are viable in a sort of like 
malignant sense, like the, 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 the viability of the bureaucracy and its capacity to reproduce itself. Um, but like that being uh, negative for society as a whole. Um, so, so yeah, because we, we typically think about viability in, in positive terms, uh, but a system can actually also be viable in terms that we, we don't like at all. Yeah, I mean, like one of the assumptions that's definitely here is that um, it's an assumption of a sort of pragmatic evaluation of performance, which I mean, is which is is a big cybernetics thing, right? But um, and this this is where the sort of the, the the psychoanalytic crowd will get kind of excited, right? But like it kind of assumes that the the motivations will be available to you and be scrutable um, and so on. So there's there's like quite a bit going on there that's like. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe in some cases you won't be able to identify what the the what the purpose of it really is, or that like there'll be these unconscious, um, like institutionally unconscious contradictions between the stated purpose and what the actual performance is, right? Like in that kind of um, very very sort of Freudian way. Um, yeah, yeah, and that that's where like um, the doing the VSM work can be uh, quite a revelatory investigation. Right, that 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 actually doing the work of analyzing through the VSM can put your organization in a different light than the one you you uh, entered into the analysis with, and so that that sort of uh, definitional level of the of the purpose of the system um, is actually very important and actually quite complicated, um, or, or quite quite a complex program to or problem to to work through i think that's that's why i find um i'm kind of fascinated by the the intersection of like cybernetics with psychiatry and with like um with all sorts of other things because like if um you know if 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 a if a if a human body can go mad right like it can be it can be sort of pathological in some ways it stands to reason that an organization can as well and a machine can go mad uh like i mean there's there's a really great book the part of um cybernetic brain where like uh Pickering describes like how Ross Ashby managed to like drive a machine insane by like giving it contradictory instructions and like got it got it into a really fucked up state. Like he was simulating a kind of very primitive electronic brain, and um, the the electronic brain exhibited the same pathologies under the same stimulus as as a as a human brain. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think uh, to really to really do that sort of analysis that you're asking for there of like really analyzing what the, what a system is and what it does and what it claims to do. You would, you would need to bring a kind of um, psychiatric kind of uh, uh, toolkit to the table as well, as well as a cybernetic one. But then, I mean, cybernetics kind of blurs those lines, right? Like that's right. Yes. Well, and, and I think the important thing here is that like, this is a process, right? Like you, you don't just sit down and say, "Okay, right." Like you know, uh, let's look at uh, let's let's look at general intellect unit. Okay, what's our purpose? Okay, write it down. Done. All right, that's that's the end of that. Uh, no, it's it's something that will become clear to you as you go through the diagramming, the discussion, um, and looking at the interactions of, of systems um, and with the environment. Uh, then, then you, you like so. I imagine there's some kind of there's there's a certain level of like uh, revising the purpose that happens as you go through the analysis. Oh, I'd imagine so. Certainly. Um, yeah. Um, 
one of the sort of interesting examples that stood out for me for System 3, like the System 3 being about optimization of the, the whole internal system, uh, was the example of like a bucket chain to move water. Like say the problem is that a house is on fire and there's a lake nearby and you've got, you know, 10 or 15 people running back and forth with buckets. But you've got somebody at the top of a ladder who looks at this scenario and goes, oh, hold on. If, if you all stand in a line and you pass the buckets back and forth, you'll get the water there a lot quicker. That's the kind of optimization and synergy they're talking about there. So like in, the, in this diagnosis, it's like identify what, what practices you do currently that fit this kind of mold. Like how, how do, and the, the answer might be you don't, right? Like you don't optimize anything about what you do, but in which case you're probably in trouble. Um, but uh, another important part of system three is this kind of like resource bargain or like internal allocation and planning. Um, so that's that's the thing you're probably doing in your organization, right? Like you're probably doing some kind of even even unconsciously doing a kind of resource bargain of like we're gonna we're gonna dedicate x amount of resources to this project for the next month, and then we're gonna understaff this other one for a while. But then once the first project's over, we'll switch around some resources and whatever, or it might just be in financial terms, or or whatever terms you have, right, for your internal sort of thing. And the other, I mean, like system three is one where a lot of things come together. And another important bit is like monitoring information that comes upwards to kind of get this, this model of, get a model of the internal systems that you can optimize it, but also like, um, a capacity for sporadic audits. Um, this is sometimes referred to as system three star, and I'm kind of not sure why it's so often referred to as like a semi-separate like appendage. Uh, I, I think it's because it's, it's an active uh, investigation of lower systems. Like, so there's the monitoring, which is passive, right? And reactive, right? It's reactive. And then the audit function, the, 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 the system three star, star function is like actually like investigating, going in and auditing that kind of thing. Um, and then the, 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 um, the intervention channel, the command channel, the one that's, that steps in and says, okay, we're revoking autonomy under these conditions. Um, that one is like kind of only activated in the breach. Like it's, it's like emergency powers. Right. Um, so I, I guess it's, it's, it's just the, the sense that like system three is kind of like a system for, for the internal part of the, of the system, right? <laughs> to, to use the really convoluted language, <laughs> the internal part of the BSM, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, the, the the inner environment. Yeah, certainly. It's it, it is it is very much the 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 inner eye that is like seeking about, right? Yeah, um, I think that for most people listening, like this is the part that would correspond most closely to the kind of like immediate middle management that they'd be familiar with. Right, the kind of the first line of authority above the operational unit, a operational unit either being a person or a, a project or or a, or a whatever or a department. There's this kind of there's this layer above that like is 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 is, uh, is watching and has power to intervene. 
I mean, obviously, with with what we're going for here, this that it's not a personalized thing where it's a uh, that the you know that the role is given to somebody who is um, from a particular class background, and the the whole thing is involved in reproducing a, a, a class division of of power and so on and so forth. But uh, this this is familiar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the the important thing um, that they say in describing System Three Star is that it should only be engaged with any particular uh, operational unit, um, any any system one, uh, like occasionally, right? Like there, the, you shouldn't be in there like micromanaging. That's that's just like interfering with autonomy, um, and uh, it should be like transparent, right? So like the results of the audit should be shared with that system with the view of like improving it right like it it, it, it it it's like it should have that operational unit's interests in mind um and it should be clear about that because you know the, the thing about middle management is like middle managers are largely self-interested um they uh tend to overmanage because they have like that's their job that's their whole job right is to do the system three star thing um and so they they tend to overdo it because it's the only way that they can exhibit productivity right um whereas the vsm doesn't really imply that at all um so yeah so it, it, in fact it's, it's it's very much like cautioning against that tendency uh of that kind of like um over eager middle manager um yeah definitely yeah. that's um that's definitely what, what we're going for there system four should be one that's kind of relatively easy to identify um if you do future planning and like prediction and like watching the environment uh, from for a lot of firms it'll be watching the market right in a capitalist uh, society um yeah i mean if, if you're not doing that oh i don't know <laughs> you're probably in big trouble but uh that's that's one that's usually pretty easy to identify it's your research and development your kind of futures committee or whatever and but also like each each person in, and this is again emphasizing that point of like this is a, this is a depersonalized kind of process each person in the the sort of operational units is probably doing a lot of this kind of thought in their heads anyway um and like getting it to be a formalized system for might just mean having regular planning meetings or regular kind of like big open discussions of like okay what what do we think is coming uh, what what do we think is the biggest problem in our environment, and uh, and what can we do to plan against it? Because as I said, as I said, right, like if you're if you work for a company or whatever, and you're like just in the shower wondering, it's like, huh, there's this big competitor thing, whatever, and like, how are we going to deal with that? Like, you're you are in System Four while you're doing that. Um, it's just you might need to formalize it a bit, um, and then System Five is like you 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 got to identify. By by what means are policy and like top level ethos decided? Um, for a lot of companies, that's just going to be the personality of the fucking leader, the CEO. Like whatever, whatever that person's particular brain damage will be, whatever the policy <laughs> happens to be, um, and that's just what you're stuck with in a, in a capitalist fucking um, way of managing things. Um, with uh, you know, in in Chile or like with a lot of these um, applications of the VSM. Um, we're instead looking at participatory sort of um, policy setting. Uh, you have like 
regular but not too regular big meetings with everyone involved or like um, policy discovery processes where people suggest new things that, you know all, all that kind of stuff right there's there's an infinity of different ways you could organize that but um the point here is to identify what is the policy what what are the, what are the high level sort of um general policies of this organization and how are they set and how are they updated because if they're not updated ever that's kind of you know that's sketchy right that's a problem like it's um you just end up with like a you know doing the same thing over and over again or you you would end up having a repetition of completely ineffective um, uh, strategies. Yeah, and really what System 5 is about is um, reconciling System 3 and 4. Yeah, it conditions the loop, right, the, between System 3 and 4. Yeah, because, you know, System 3 is looking inward, System 4 is looking outward. The two are in communication, but it doesn't guarantee that there isn't going to be oscillation between those two, right? Um, and so system five exists to basically, you know, step in and make sure that that you prevent you uh, stop the system from getting out of balance, right? Um, and so it, it's you know, oftentimes when we think about system five, like you think about it as like, oh, this is like the CEO role or something like that, but it's like. Not really. Like, yes, it is executive in a sense, but it's not like they do a lot of the things that a CEO is associated with. Like, a lot of that stuff is actually a part of System 4 or 3. Um, and System 5 is more just, like, there as kind of, like, a fail-safe to ensure the cohesion of the entire organism. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, that's... It's it's a it's a decision making uh, organ. Yeah, it's it, it's it's almost a sort of meta decision making organ in that it, it it conditions the it conditions the decisions that three and four make. So I think an example, maybe to nail it down a bit more concretely, is that like um, for software developers, like um, a, a team that generally believes in agile principles or like Scrum principles or whatever. The, that's what the system five is there. It's the general policy. And it means that every every like sort of plan, either either like an internal plan or like a more external facing plan that's generated, can be kind of compared quickly against the policy of like, okay, we've decided to do X. Does that does that vaguely match a sort of agile thing? Okay, cool, right, go ahead. Or then you know, if we decide to do what uh, something else, it's like, oh, but that's that's like really badly against our ethos. Okay, well, then it needs to be replanned and so on. It's it's interesting that like I mean, beer makes the allusion to system five being kind of like the the higher the sort of cortex and the kind of higher consciousness. And it's interesting just how much of a sort of bit player in the whole assemblage that that is, right? That like it 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 really goes to show like the extent to which this is a very different view of the body than uh, the one that we're used to. Yeah, right. Um, like that. Like, like, um, it has a kind of appreciation for the like autonomic systems of the body. Um, that is really unusual. I would say, uh, it, it, it's like, oh yeah, like actually, you know, the way, like the things your intestine does, the things that your lungs do, the things your heart does, um, the things your muscles do, um, 
are actually like really impressive and important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. uh, <laughs> and yeah, they have their own kind of intelligence to them. It very much, yeah, it like emphasizes local intelligence and kind of machinic cunning um, as the as the main engine of 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 activity, right? Like um, to kind of touch back on Pickering, right? Activity and performance is driven by autonomic cunning. Um, and it's, it's interesting to dwell on that word, right? Autonomic, like the, the autonomic nervous system is a nervous system that, you know, allows for the autonomous operation of its, of its wards, right? Like the, the organs. That wor- the, the wording of autonomic nervous system is not an accident in, in sort of the study of biology. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a, a really different really interesting view um and i think you know when you like i don't think that that beer would in by any means get into some kind of like weird uh point of view that 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 says that like biological existence or like bare life is already in itself sufficient and the mind is just kind of like this this afterthought right um, it is important, but it's more like the way in which this whole system comes together produces, you know, all those, those like humanist, wonderful things that we think about. Um, and, and, and like, that's really a more, a more, uh, helpful way to think about it than, um, you know, you have this kind of like base that supports the really important mind, right? Like the body is there to support the mind. Because, like, when you think about the, the kinds of things that we, we, we view as, like, peak experiences or, like, you know, these, like, wonderful exemplary examples of what it means to be human and that we celebrate, um, they exist as a concert of all of the functions of our body. And, it, like, they literally could not, like, do otherwise, right? Like, if, if we... If we if we um, have this really like idealist view of our of our body, we might ignore them. But like when you really look at it in a materialist sense, like you know, even sitting there and writing a great symphony, symphony like it re- relies on a lot of muscle memory. It relies on a lot of habits of thought. It relies on obviously like the basic functioning of your organs. Um, and, and, and like none of that stuff happens if, if the body as a whole is not functioning well. Um, and so it, it, it's like really um, profoundly uh, contrary to this, this dualist point of view. And I guess it's, it's less to say that like, you know, the, 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 the cerebral cortex, like the, the frontal brain, all that, like, you know, that really like high functioning stuff is, is irrelevant so much. Rather, it's more like looking at like, what does it actually do to ensure the viability of the system as a whole? And the answer is like, it really doesn't do that much, right? Like it, 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 it's they're like there might be a lot of activity up there, but it's it's only facilitated by the rest of the system, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you know, take take all of that, right? And then 
map it onto social machines, social organisms, and social structures and organizations, and and up from there, right? Like, um, yeah, I mean, our, our our present way of thinking about the body, our sort of mainstream present way of thinking about the body, is woefully deficient, and in comparison to what you've what you've just said, and our mainstream way of thinking about, um, I, I guess, social bodies or the socius is is also woefully deficient, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, this this model of uh, this this different way of thinking about things and this different way of emphasizing the sort of primacy of of the of the sort of molecular activity of the thing and its performance of what it does um, and that the trust trusting first that the system operates properly and then intervening when it doesn't and trying to teach it how to how to operate better and that sort of stuff is so different from what we're accustomed to this is this is a this is a wildly different and it's, it's why um you know uh, chile with cybersyn is is kind of you know it's something that we um has become in the sort of popular consciousness some part of the popular consciousness of the sort of contemporary left has become um an object of fascination because it's this kind of this little crack in the door right the the peak, the peak beyond into a potentially vastly different society, um, vastly improved, you know, like not simply different, but like, um, more autonomous, more effective, more efficient as well as being more free. And yeah, like, oh boy, <laughs> incredible, you know? Yeah. And like you, you, you really, you can look at examples like that. Or you can look at smaller scale examples like the ones that are included in the in, in the um, in the guide, um, and see that like this can actually work, um, right? Like this, it, it, it's it, it can work, and there are also like really positive effects that it has as a as a kind of generator of like life experience right like the you know you kind of get in the description of of uh i think the, the first cooperative like you know the author saying that oh working here was like one of the most pleasurable things i ever did in my life even though the work was largely what we could we would consider to be uh like quote unquote menial labor um because the systems were functioning well um, towards a valuable purpose, um, it was actually, you know, far more rewarding than doing something that we might consider to be like, oh, like this is a quote, this is a great job, right? Like, oh, I'm the, I'm the director of planning at so-and-so. Uh, no, in, in fact, having this kind of like um, synchronized, system of work uh was was way more enjoyable way more valuable and it really does speak to that kind of like point that marx was getting at in his um work on alienation uh about the the, the value of getting away from a, a really strict division of labor um in society and and the alienation that that implies yeah for sure um so yeah, I mean, we're going to skip over um, some of these later chapters, which are basically kind of like walking through piece by piece, like how to, you know, how, how to design for autonomy, how to design information systems. They're, they're well worth reading, but I think we've, we've covered pretty much everything um, that, they, that they say. Um, so, I mean, wrapping up, like, I mean, I think 
Um, I think I've already brought it up, but I think one of the, one of the things I really love about this is that it, it depersonalizes management and makes it a, a kind of a machine process rather than something that is um, a sort of specific role and and uh, involved in in the re- reproduction of a class society, um, which I think is pretty pretty excellent. For like, I'm aware that we've been mostly keeping our examples and our discussion in terms of like workplaces and companies and so on. Um, and that's, I mean, largely because, I mean, that's the terminology that's used here. It's the context that a lot of this stuff was developed for, but I mean, it applies to all kinds of organizations, including, you know, political organizations or workers organizations like, um, like your, you know, uh, when we're developing workers power, um, we're probably going to end up, well, hopefully can end up using some of these, these, uh, these models and lessons. Right. And I think that's, that's going to be effective because it's a kind of, um, organization in a box that you can just deploy. And like, I think if, if the viable system model became something that was well understood and sort of widely studied throughout, um, the workers movement throughout the contemporary left, it would just be something you could roll in and go, okay, we have, we have this big thing we need to do. How are we going to organize it? Well, we've got this thing called the VSM. We'll just do that again. Um, if it could become a standard, essentially it would be kind of awesome because that would be an alternative to the usual build it from scratch bullshit that you get with, you know, political organizing of like, we have this big thing to do. How are we going to organize it? Duh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, you know, improvise. And it's like, you know, I mean, I like free jazz as much as anyone, but you know, building a workers movement is probably not the time for fucking improvisation, um, of that kind. Um, or building, you know, p- your political organizations, or when, when you really have something you need to do. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it's it's notably distinct from uh, sort of like taking the principles of a Leninist party and 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 setting up a Leninist party according to like the lines that that were handed down by the Comintern, uh, you know, so many years ago, um, because the VSM. It doesn't really, it doesn't prescribe like all of the specifics of how this organization should work because you really have to do reason actively from the situation you find yourself in, as opposed to just say, okay, we got this party constitution, uh, let's deploy it, let's go, right? Um, in, in fact, like you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion on like uh, from Alpha to Omega about the question of like. Well, what was the situation in which the Leninist Party was developed? Uh, it was like, oh, it's a situation of like you know revolutionary civil war. Um, that isn't necessarily the situation <laughs> that all of us find ourselves yeah. in. And then we could even analyze that party form from a perspective of viability to see like, well, does it actually even do the thing it says it's supposed to do? Um, so you know, there's. There's a certain level to which, like, yeah, it's not build it from scratch, but it's also not, uh, like, you know, fucking deploy your Docker container uh, style of, uh, of uh, political organization, right? There, there's a certain amount of active intelligence to the development of an organization mm-hmm. fit to the situation you find yourself in. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I guess what I, what I sort of was trying to get out with the build with the sort of organ a box thing was that um it if if it were a sort of standard it would be it would just eliminate a decision 
as to like how are we going how how are we going to go about that analysis? Like you're totally right. It's not something that you can just like um, it's not it's not, it doesn't come in a briefcase that you can just open and like here here's the thing. It's like it's not like a pop up tent, <laughs> you know. It's yeah. um It is something that you absolutely need to engage with and design and to do actively. But um, I think this could like if it was if it was well understood and widely deployed, it could just become a kind of standard template for doing this sort of stuff. Um, and that would make that would make the entire movement more effective, like because that would be a system two level thing of like um, you know standardization and um, you know to get to get very meta about it, right? For the the entire sort of socialist project could have a a sort of standard procedure for going about this stuff, right? Like and it'd be to to use the VSM and so on. <laughs> yep. I think I also love how it focuses on in on like the purpose of a systems that like you know your sort of trot sect that just has meetings for their own sake that can't possibly be your primary purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That is that is like literally invalid as a as a primary purpose in the sort of in the model. Like the, the meetings and the management stuff is strictly secondary um and has to be. Um so yeah, get out get out of here trots. Uh, and selling newspapers can't be your fucking main purpose either come on <laughs> podcasting that's that's the way yeah. to, the people's revolution <laughs> do, you think, do you think in um, 50 or 60 years people will be making jokes about uh, along the lines of like trot selling newspapers <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh there's johnny's making his podcast so oh, ridiculous yeah well who knows and um i think as well a big upside is this this could this could move us past the kind of pointless oscillation between centralization and decentralization because it it turns out there's a science of organization right and it kind of gives you an answer to that that, those big questions um such that the the framing of kind of like absolute centralization or absolute decentralization or that kind of anarchic thing for the latter example is just sort of rendered kind of pointless um which i like I wanted to sort of mention as well, like the potential sort of dangers of this bodily metaphor, because um, I mean it, it obviously leans on this bodily metaphor pretty pretty heavily. But that like the the state form of like both implementation and the state form of thought that we all know and despise is kind of in, inherited from this kind of like Platonic Cartesian sort of way of thinking about separation of rules from rulers the separation of mind from body and this sort of thing there's a lot of resonance in those kind of concepts um that kind of co-evolved with each other um those guys like i mean the 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 platonic sort of republic sort of stuff that is also based in a bodily metaphor it's a different one like it's it's Mm -hmm. it's one that happens to be wrong but it is a, a simple appeal to um the metaphors of the human body is not enough, right? So I think I think it would be it would be easy to misread this VSM stuff as being a kind of validation of um, of that sort of platonic stuff. It could also be misread easily as kind of being a sort of defense of like uh, the kind of quasi Nazi sort of stuff you get with like organic corporalism or organic centralism, because like the VSM is very much about the opposite of that. It's about imminent self-rule right um but it can be the 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 way that it uses the metaphors and stuff can be misread as very non-imminent transcendent kind of uh elite rule um 
Because like, I can imagine somebody looking at the diagram and just going, "Oh yeah, that's where the that's where the God King sits in in System Four, you know, and the the the, the philosopher kings are in System Four and Three, and then all the plebs are in System One, you know." It would be a it would be a very bad reading, but it could be done, right? Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, not only like theoretical. This is something that like constantly plagued uh, Bure, uh during his life, right? Like pe- people misunderstanding the system as that, um, right? Like, oh, oh, there's there's a there's a brain with an eyeball looking inward. Oh, that sounds like the Panopticon to me. Um, you know that that kind of thing. Um, so it. <sighs> Please don't read it that way. <laughs> That's not what the point is yeah, here. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think what I'm trying to get at there is that, like, I think it's, like, I, I think is as probably a theme for the show in general, right? Like, we're talking about necessary but insufficient, you know, um, that this is a a necessary but in, in isolation insufficient component of a, of a better future. Um, it has to be coupled with um, elimination of class society. It has to be couple to a real workers movement you mean yada 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 all the stuff right like um it it wouldn't be enough to just kind of to just say here you know here's the vsm go nuts because i mean i could totally see that working out as a technocratic nightmare and i want to touch on something that like uh, one of our our the way one of our patrons put it um was that like we need to we need to um and this this is very much our project right like um claiming cybernetics and claiming the viable system model as socialist technology um, explicitly that this this is this is socialist technology this is a socialist way of organizing a society and really really pushing on that yeah uh is there anything else you'd like to to cover before we wrap it up uh well i think for me the the thing that was most interesting about all of this was you know as as like a tabletop role-playing game designer i'm used to writing sort of like instructional text for performance um, and this VSM guide, uh, kind of like really was interesting to me at that level. Um, you know, as opposed to the broad strokes, like, like, you know, for example, the, the back half of the book is like quite repetitive, but you can see its value as a, um, instructional text um, and just you know going from text to performance and of course we've, we've talked with Pickering about how important performance is to cybernetics um, seeing that transition happen um, was really intriguing to me and and just seeing you know the VSM is like an active tool to be performed as opposed to a metaphysical construct um that was really what 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 got me going with this uh with this particular set of readings and you know it was really like okay um i read this and then i was like all right like let's go make a working group for the vsm on the discord because i can actually see having read this like how to do the VSM as opposed to just how to think about it. Um, and, and yeah, and then, you know, we'll see where it goes from there, but, uh, it was inspiring to me in that, in that way specifically. Yeah, it's good. Um, I love it. (laughs) It's great stuff. And yeah, I think we'll, 
yeah, we'll have to do something something more about this sort of stuff in the future. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, thanks, listeners, for uh, for listening to us on this one and for following along with the show. Um, if you want to catch up with us on the internet, we're on Twitter at GIUnitPod. We're on Facebook if you search for General Intellect Unit. If you want to support the show, there's a couple of ways to do that. You share us around with friends and anyone you think would be interested. Um, and the second best way to support us is to go to patreon.com slash general intellect unit, uh, throw us a couple of bucks a month, um, to support the show and to, uh, get in on a new thing that we're doing. Uh, we've got a discord channel now for our patrons and it is, it is fucking great. Like it was, we were dragging our heels on, we dragged our heels on setting that up for so fucking long. And it was, I was absolutely dreading pulling the trigger on it, but it, it has been nothing but wonderful. Um, Great community, really yeah. wonderful discussion. Um, it's a great place to be. You need to uh, subscribe at the $5 per month level, um, but I think the uh, value exchange for that is great. Yeah, if, you're, if you're actually interested in these subjects in any kind of deep way, uh, there's a lot of interesting people to to chat with on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of really smart folks that are like intimidatingly smart and I'm like oh my god I'm in way over my head here <laughs> yeah um and like I mean we're that's the only thing we offer as a as any kind of reward because like we're still pretty adamant on not putting the sort of material at least the main material behind a, a paywall because it's it's it, this this show is a research program for us and um we kind of wanted to reach the maximum audience possible yeah good stuff Okay, I think that's it. Um, We'll catch you again in a couple of weeks with... um, Oh, I don't know. We haven't planned that yet. Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Bye.